Thank you for tuning into this teaching. We hope this message blesses you. Our mission as Marigold Church is to do anything and everything so that anyone and everyone can encounter the real Jesus. We hope as you listen to this, you encounter the real Jesus. Let him transform your mind, transform your heart, and encounter you today. So we're going to get into something. We're going to be talking about forgiveness and the, the idea behind it was I, I was kind of just going into this uh, the forgiveness, right? Just we're speaking on forgiveness, and I want to talk about real forgiveness. And the more I got into it, the more it was, it was focusing on this relational forgiveness between you and I, between us and each other. It's this, it's this uh, person-to-person forgiveness. And the more and more I dived into it, the more... I realized that, wait a minute, I have to split this up because before we can ever try to forgive one another, we need to receive forgiveness, right? And so I didn't want to lump them in together and try to cram this uh, message together. So I decided to split it up. So we're going to be talking about God's forgiveness and his mercy towards us. And uh, we'll get into the scripture But we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about injustice, we're going to talk about justice, and we're going to talk about mercy. And so um, as we we get into this, we're going to go to uh, a parable that that Jesus spoke in, uh, Matthew chapter 20. So Rebecca, if you'll put put that scripture up, we'll read it together. I'm going to move forward just a little bit. And so here we go. So Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to go into verse, uh, verses 1 through 16. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out. Oh, go back, Rebecca. I'm sorry. Thank you, babe. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went again. He went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others surrounding or standing around, excuse me. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Oh, go ahead, Rebecca. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, The last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said uh, to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. 
Now, I've heard this spoken, uh, preached on many times, uh, this kind of, this scripture thing, and I've heard it, heard it kind of put in a couple of different ways. Um, uh, one is um, how Jesus is a socialist because everyone got there and everyone got a job and everyone got paid the same. I've also heard that Jesus was a capitalist because he came in and he demanded work and said, you know, the labor union cannot tell me what to do with my money and I'm going to do it my way and I'll fire who I want to fire and hire who I want to hire. So he's a capitalist. The problem with those two uh, angles at this parable is that would make Jesus the worst and dumbest businessman who ever walked the earth. Because that would work for one day, right? But on the next day, when Jesus were to go hire some people, or if we were to try to pattern our life after this, the next day, we would go out at 6 o'clock in the morning, because that's what this is dealing with, 6 o'clock to 6 p- 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So at 6 o'clock in the morning, there would be no one there to hire, right? Why would they? We're all getting paid the same. I'll, co- I'll show up late. So he'll go back at 9 o'clock at noon at 3, nothing. At 5 o'clock, there would be a line of people around the block waiting to work for one hour so that they could get paid the same, right? That's the one hour, that's that mentality. And it's, and it's a wrong mentality uh, going into this or seeing it from that point of view because that's not what, what Jesus is talking about. And this is a parable. And understanding that a parable is a story that Jesus is telling. And much like a scorpion, it, it, has, it has a pretty, you know, it, friendly face. You know, it's not too, not too threatening in the front. It looks like a, like a baby crab. Uh, but then when you come across the back of it, it comes with a tail and it's got the stinger, all right? So in the beginning, it sounds like a very normal story, right? Oh, yeah, guys, working in the vineyard. But then something happens. There's a spin in it that says, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. We couldn't do this on earth. So he, he, spins, he spins the story on its end, and it, me, and it takes on this new meaning. Okay? And so he's talking about mercy. He's talking about justice, and he's talking about injustice. At this point, we understand he's not talking about money. He's not talking about money. He's talking about forgiveness. He's talking about giving someone what they earn. He's talking about a payment, right? Because in the beginning, there was an agreement. This is what you're going to get paid. At the end, this is the agreement. This is what you'll get paid. And so the, the, the guys that started early, they felt that the master was being unjust, right? That's not right. How could he do that? So the question is, how do we look at it? Do we look at it from the point of view as the laborers and say, you know what? That's not right. That's not fair. The guy that worked longer should have got paid more. The guy that came in and did the, the work day in and day out, you know, he's doing it. Now, now you just hired some guy. He's, he's, he's a rookie. On the, he's got one hour work and we get paid the same. I'm much more experienced. What's going on here? Whereas, do we side with management and say, look, 
what I, what I do with what's mine is, is my decision. I didn't cheat you. I just decided what I wanted to do. So the question is, do we look at it with the, the, the labors and say that was less than fair? Or do we look at it more from a kingdom point of view and look at him at the master and say, wait, that was more than fair? Because that's what we talk about, fairness. I remember my, my son-in-law is a, a youth pastor, and, and years ago, or a few years ago, he invited me to speak to the youth. He, I spoke a couple times, but one of the times I, I wrote, I, had, uh, I preached a message that I had actually written for elementary kids as a kids pastor, and it's called, It's Not Fair. Because I was hearing that a lot in children's church. It's not fair. He didn't pick me. It's not fair. I was hearing it from some of the children's workers too. It's not fair. But I was hearing this. It's not fair a lot. And so it's funny. I wrote it for the, for the elementary kids and I went and spoke to the high school kids. And, and I actually learned that the high school kids actually say it more than the elementary school kids. It's not fair. Can I take the car out? No, it's not fair. Can I have money for the movies? No, it's not fair. I've said it a few times. But we're looking at a just God, right? So God is just. So God is always looking to do what is right, right? He's going to give you what is yours, what is earned, right? And that's what he did in each of the cases. He gave them what was earned. To give them less would have been injustice, less than what they'd earned. To give them more was not justice. It was mercy. When you, get, when you are given more, it is not justice, it's mercy. If you get a bonus at the end of the year for working hard all year long, that is mercy, that is not justice. You can't say, I earned that. No, that's your, your salary is what you earned. And if they paid you less than your salary, that's injustice. But if they pay you your salary, that's justice. Anything beyond that, is mercy. It's grace. It's, it's being given above and beyond. And I understand there's times where, you know, like, you know, I, know I, I understand like even now there's been people that have been, been furloughed or been like, hey, can we take a, a, a cut back? But, it's, but even then, it's, it's an agreed on amount. Be, less than that would be injustice. But whatever is agreed on, does that make sense? They agreed on it. That's what the master said. We've agreed on it. And a a couple things I want to get out of between justice and mercy is I want to get to a couple things here. One, mercy is not against justice. It's not one or the other. They run down the same path, right? It's just that mercy has a little bit more gas in the tank, all right? So so injustice, it won't get, it's, it's not getting you to where you're supposed to be. Justice has enough tank in the gas, uh, gas, gas in the tank to get you where you're supposed to be. Mercy will take you further. Okay, so it's not that it's done away with justice. It's just doing what justice couldn't do. It's going beyond. The other thing is that mercy is given at the discretion of the mercy giver. You cannot demand mercy. You can ask for it, but you cannot demand it. 
Mercy is at the discretion at the giver. And God gives mercy to who he chooses. So that tells me that there's going to be some he gives mercy to and some that he does not give mercy to. So mercy cannot be earned, it cannot be demanded, and it's not a right. A right is what is right, right? Right. Okay, so a lot of, a lot of times we're demanding our rights. We're demanding our rights. It's, it's become what I deserve, right? We hear that more in our society now than ever. What do I deserve? It's my right. It's my right. Health care is my right. Everything is a right. At what point does anything ever just become, this is above and beyond? And it's usually people demanding rights that are not paying for those rights. When you're demanding something, it's usually you not, it's not you paying for it. Now, God gives mercy to who he chooses, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. And I'm not talking about this, the idea of election in this. There's a, there's a, a doctrine of election, and, uh, and, I, and I don't 100% agree with the, the idea behind it. Uh, and I'll, let me touch on that for a minute. I do believe there's an elect Okay, there's an elect, and, and it's part of a Reformed theology. Okay, but Reformed theology stops at a certain point where the Scripture keeps on going. And so this idea of election is God picks who he wants to, to save. God picks who he wants to have mercy on. God picks, but it stops right there. Okay, so it's like either you're the elect or you're not. That's the doctrine of election. Okay, so God chooses who he wants to save and, and, and chooses who he doesn't want to on the other end. Okay, my belief and my strong conviction on that is God has selected one. God has elected one, which is the bride. Right? One bride. You get to choose whether or not you are the bride or not. But it's one, it's, one, it's one selection. It's one bride. Now, who does God give mercy to? If God chooses who gets mercy, who does, how does he choose? And for that, I want to turn to uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. And this is also a parable. It says, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I love this. I love it. Here's the Pharisee. Right there in front row, hands lifted, robe dangling. 
I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's talking about someone in the room. It says, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Not tithe, tithes. That would have been up to 25% of, of his income he gave, he gave to the temple. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For, who, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. I want, let's look at those words. There's two ways, or really there's three ways to read scripture. All right? With your head, with your heart, or with both. Okay? We just, we just went through it. Just your head. Okay? That was just the head. Let's go into the heart. All right? Because you, you are both. Go ahead and leave that up there, Rebecca Bell. But he goes in, and you have the Pharisee. Now, everything that the Pharisee said was absolutely true. The Pharisees were above and beyond when it came to holiness. I mean, everything that you see them saying, these were not downtrodden people. These were people that everything they demanded, they were doing. They did give their multiple tithes. They obeyed the law to the T. They did everything. The problem wasn't what they were doing. The problem was the heart behind it. So this is the Pharisee standing front row for everyone to see. And that was what they did. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. And he goes to name off some of them that were in the room. But especially the low of the low, the tax collector. Now, we don't like tax collectors. We don't like the IRS in America, but this was something different. This wasn't just a tax collector. This was a fellow Jew. Now, this is something that they did. They collected taxes not for their own, but for the Roman people or for the Roman. uh, They were taken over by Rome. And so Rome said, we can't go in there demanding taxes from the Jews because they will revolt against us. But what we will do is we will gather some Jews. They'll, they'll sign up for the, for, the, for the, you know, they'll fill out an application. We'll pick who we think can, is up to the job. And we'll demand a quota from them. From there, they would go into their own people and demand this money. But here was the deal. Anything they got above and beyond it, the quota they could keep. And if any of these Jews gave them any trouble, Rome just said, you come to us, we'll handle them. It was racket. It was a racketeering. It was a blackmail job against their own people. 
This happened also in World War II. When Germany gathered the Jews together, they did the same thing. And so these people were, were looked down upon, hated amongst their own people. So, yeah, he was right. Even this worthless tax collector back there. I'm so, I'm so glad I'm not that guy. But here's what the tax collector said. Not standing in the front where everybody could see him, but standing in the back, in the back of the room, full of shame. He didn't even have the courage to look up. Look down. Merciful to me. I'm just a sinner. That prayer was heard. It says the Pharisee prayed to himself. His prayer never even reached the end of his nose. But this tax collector, he saw himself for who he was. And it wasn't a fancy prayer. It wasn't, look at, look at all the good I've done. He prayed, have mercy on me. It says he goes away, and that day, he was justified. What does that mean? On that day, he was made right with God. Not the Pharisee, the tax collector. The lowest of the low was made right because he asked for mercy. So who does God give mercy to? Those who ask for it. It's that simple. Wholeheartedly, knowing who you are and what you truly deserve, you ask for mercy. Now, who, now there's two other kind of caveats to this. And I want to just go straight into this because God gives it to those who ask it. And we're going to see it in this next parable. Uh, Rebecca, if you'll turn to that other one in Matthew, babe. Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. Thank you. I'm sorry, this is a little small, but here we go. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle, uh, to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That 10,000 talents, so one talent is worth 15 years of wages, okay? So this is a lot of money. So when he says 10,000 talents, I was doing kind of what the average income for someone in Texas. Like that's just a median average is 30,000 for an adult, right? So that's, you know, of course you'll have low and then in, but in the end, the median is about, is about 30,000. So without calculation of 15, year, 15 years times 30,000 times 10,000 came out to 4.5 billion US dollars, okay? 
So since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrating himself before him saying, have patience with me, Lord. I'll repay everything I owe. How is he going to come up with four and a half billion dollars? And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. So a hundred denarii would be about $12,000 based on that, those same calculations. So you have four and a half billion dollars versus $12,000. So it's not saying that the debt wasn't enough. If someone owed you $12,000, you would want it back, right? Yeah, I had a, uh, I had a roofing business for a while, and there was a, a company that owed me $28,562. I don't know. I will always remember that, that number. Uh, I'm not bitter. I just remember it. But, and they still owe me that money. But, but, I, there was a, but there was a time where God had to tell me I needed to release it. I had to let it go. That was the hardest thing financially that I ever had to do was let it go. I remember it, though. It says, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, here's the thing. They work for the same master. They work in the same household. So maybe he found this guy in the hallway. Maybe he found him working in the kitchen or working out in the, in the, in the garden. But he was a fellow worker. They were in the same class. They were servants. And he finds him. He says, you owe me this $12,000 or you owe me this debt. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me. I will repay you. Now, this seems more reasonable that he could pay him. Maybe he couldn't. But it seemed a lot more reasonable than being able to pay back four and a half billion dollars. But the man insisted, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave uh, fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me. I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. It says he was unwilling. Not that he was unable to forgive. He was unwilling to forgive the debt. Verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, the Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. I want you to capture this idea the man had been forgiven his debt right the four and a half billion dollars was already forgiven the ten thousand talents was already forgiven it didn't say one day i will forgive you someday this will happen this day you're forgiven go out a free man Verse 33, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? 
and his Lord moved with anger. First, he was moved with compassion towards this man. Now he's moved with anger towards this man. Handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Verse 35, ingrain this in your head, your heart, and tattoo it on you. If you ever want to get a tattoo of a verse, tattoo this one. This one will help you. Okay, not all, uh, I can do all things through Christ, okay? Don't do it. Forget that one. Do this one, okay? All right, verse 35. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This idea that if we have this idea that I said a prayer back 20 years ago and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and I've been... Nope, that doesn't do it. This idea, this once saved, always saved. Nope, not according to this. He was already forgiven. It didn't say he would always be forgiven. God rescinded the forgiveness. He said, what I gave you, I'm taking it back. The idea that you can go on living whatever you want to live after you said a sinner's prayer and asked Jesus in your heart is false. And that teaching sends more people to hell than almost any other teaching because it's not true. There's over 80 scriptures in the Bible that talk about warning believers that you can lose your salvation It says forgiveness can be revoked by the father. Here's what it says. It says they sent him to the torturers. Now, let me ask you this. They send him to the torturers. Who is going to pay his debt then? Can he work it off? He's done. So the second thing is God will forgive and God gives mercy to those who ask. But it only remains with those who freely pass it on. That's why when we take the communion. We're, de we're demanded to. What is it? To search our hearts. Do we have anything against our fellow brother? Because if so. If we're not letting something go, if we're holding someone in contempt or holding someone in bitterness and we're not willing to let that go, or you can eat all the bread you want and drink all the wine you want. It ain't going to save you. Because it's meaningless if you don't believe it. I know this is a fun sermon. Let's go to John chapter eight. This is the next one. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Now, I will say this. The law did not say just to stone the woman. Because she wasn't having adultery with herself. 
She was having adultery with another person. The very fact that they didn't bring out the other person, they were already breaking the law because both were to be stoned, not just one. So they were already doing something wrong. So they were saying this, verse 6, they were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. So here they are. They're bringing this to Jesus. Now they're doing this for a couple of reasons. One, if they say to have, have the woman stoned to death, they are breaking Roman law because Rome did not allow Jews to do their own executions. That's why Jesus was handed over to Rome to be crucified. They, they, they didn't put up with that. Rome was the occupying country. They were the, they were the, uh, the empire here. They were the ones calling the shots. And so now, if they're saying, well, go ahead and stone her according to the law, that's what you have to do. Go ahead and do it. He'd have to be dealing with Rome now. On the other hand, if they say, let her free, he's breaking the Mosaic law. So either way, he's, he's accused. And they've done, they did this more than once. Once they asked Jesus, hey, look, uh, you know, who should, you know, as far as paying taxes, who should, who should we, our money go to? And Jesus, you know, same thing. There was a trap. If he says give to God, then he, he's going against Rome. If he's saying give to Rome, then he's going against Jew, the Jewish culture. So what does he say? He says, show me a coin. What does it have on it? It says the face of Caesar. So give to Caesar. What is Caesar? Give to God. What is God's? And here's just a little side note on that. What he was saying was give to God, give to Caesar. What is Caesar? He didn't care about the money. Give it's, it's materialistic. What he was saying was he was asking a question. Whose image is on you? And they would have known right away in Genesis. Whose image are we made in? We're made in the image of God. So what do you give to God? Your entire self. That's just a side note. But Jesus stooped with his down with his finger and wrote on the ground. It, it just seemed like he was just ignoring them. Just down on his knees, just kind of like, yeah, yeah. Writing some stuff, doodling on the sand there. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. This is, not, this is what he was not saying. He was not saying, if you've never sinned in your life before, you get to throw a stone. Because in that case, no one could ever uh, punish anyone. And, that's, and that's, not, that's not God's order. There is punishment for breaking the law, right? You, you speak, you know, if I, if I get pulled over by, by a police officer because I'm going 80 in a, in a 50, and then I said, oh, well, are you telling me you've never speed before? Well, that's irrelevant, right? Okay, and so that's what that's what, that's that's kind of what they were trying to. What the idea here? The idea was that you've never sinned before. Oh, you've never broken the law. Oh, you've never. That's not what the idea was. The idea was this: is his question was, let him who has never broken this same law cast the first stone. Because this was part of the Jewish law. 
The Jewish law was saying, if you've ever committed the same crime that you were accusing the other person of, you are not a valid witness. And you have to have two to three valid witnesses to carry out something like this. So they needed to be valid witnesses. And so it seems like he's, he's riding on the ground. They're, they're so entrenched. I want you to use your imagination. Remember, when we read, we read with our head, but we read with our heart. So we read with our imagination. That they've, they're not even considering what Jesus is writing at this moment. They're so entrenched in getting this answer because it's a trap. They're just so they're so focused on getting him to say the wrong thing that they're not really paying attention. They're just waiting for the right words to accuse him. So it says, but he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her again. He stooped and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one. Jesus has not spoken a word. All he's been doing is riding on the ground. Now, what happens in this moment? Let's use our imagination here. I heard a preacher say one time that he thought, and I thought it was great, and I, I, I kind of imagine it the same way, that Jesus stoops down, and maybe he starts writing down some prostitute names. Hmm. Michelle. Starlight. I don't know whatever, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. The, but he's he he there's something that he's doing there that that strikes them as like, oh wait a minute. I've done that. And it says they started to leave from the oldest to the youngest. It says, but when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman where she was in the center of the court. So here's Jesus and he's writing whatever he's writing. But it's got to be something that strikes them. Because not only do they not only do they not stick around, if I if I want, if I'm there, I'm going to I want to hear this out. Right. I want to see where this plays out. What does Jesus do? What does he say? Oh, my gosh. Even. OK, well, I can't cast the stone, but I'm waiting for someone to do it. Man, just imagine the, the adrenaline you're thinking you're about to be able to gather some rocks and kill someone or do something. It's like, come on, like, let's do this. And then something happens. Maybe it was what he wrote. Maybe there was something that triggered them. Maybe. Maybe his silence in itself just triggered something. Let him without the, that's never sinned like this before, let him cast the first stone. It says the oldest one. I think the oldest one needed to tuck tail and run because he probably had the most to lose. Oh, yeah, you've been building up that business. That vineyard's going real good. Wait till your wife hears about this one. Oh, man, I don't, need to, I don't need my wife to know that I couldn't cast the first stone. I better get out of there. And it sounded like Jesus was writing down some evidence so someone knows something. But from the oldest to the youngest, they, they leave. 
And she's there in the center of the court. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, oh, sorry, I misspelled that. Where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Now, notice he did not say anything. He, there's something that's usually said that he did not say. He did not say, I forgive you. He said, I do not condemn you. Now, Jesus was the only one that had the right to condemn her morally. Right? However, legally, he could not. Even if he morally could, he legally couldn't. Why? Because you have to have two to three witnesses. So he, he, he gets her out of this jam. But look at what he says. And the way it's worded is not that she, this is her first time doing this. This is a lifestyle. Go. From now on, sin no more. In this way. Now, is it possible that she could go on the rest of her life without ever sinning? No. You and I, we try hard. We're doing, we're doing our best. We, we wake up, you know, and before we get out of bed, we've sinned. Ding, oh, man, there goes my day, you know. Stub your toe on the corner of the bed. Sinned already. Couldn't even get five minutes in. Haven't got out of bed. You've already argued with your wife. You sin. You know. You just. It's just like. And so. And so. It, it's. It's not telling him never sin. It's go out. Get out of this. Whatever you're doing, get out of this. Get out of this. And so the the third thing I want to share. So the first thing is that God gives mercy to those who ask. The second thing is it re, he he allows it to remain with those who will freely pass it on. And the third thing, he allows it to remain with those who take care of it, who don't take advantage of it. This may have played out a little bit different if two weeks later they're dragging her back out because she was doing it again. Except this time maybe they found the right guys to drag her out. It says, go and leave that lifestyle behind you we're talking about mercy we're talking about God's forgiveness God is ready and willing to forgive anyone and everyone if we will come to him in humility and know who we are the Pharisee that stood in front and said I'm so great he didn't know who he was you see, sometimes we can be so arrogant and so prideful that I'm glad I'm not like that guy. That you, you, you lose who you are. You forget what a sinful person you are. We, we pray for a lot of things, don't we? Lord, help me pay my bills. Lord, get me out of trouble. Lord, help me with my kids. Lord, I need more money. I need more favor with the boss. I need better hours. I need, I need. How many times do we ever just stop and say, God, more than anything, I need your mercy. Because it doesn't matter what comes my way. I don't deserve any of it. 
if it's good, I don't deserve it. You see, the world works on merit. It's all about what you earn. And sometimes we think that heaven is the same way. And that's why he gave the parable that way. He's talking about merit and he's talking about what they've earned and what they've earned because that's how we think, right? Oh, I've earned it. I've earned it. I've, I was the hardest worker. Of course I earned, uh, I earned the bonus. Of course I earned the raise. Of course, I'm the one that shows up early and stays late. I've earned it. And yeah, that's on, in earth, on earth. Yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't transfer to heaven. How could you earn heaven? How much overtime could you possibly give to God? To earn a place in heaven. How much could you earn his forgiveness? And, and that's going in that second parable. Is the, is the man four and a half billion dollars of debt. To have heard that 10,000 denarii. To hear, to hear that story. Those people would have been like, wait a minute. That's an astronomical amount of money. Even if you were a multimillionaire, that's still, how do, how do you get out of four and a half billion dollars? How could I possibly earn my way out of that debt? There's no way. And, you're, and, you, and you see the people and they're hearing this story and, and, it's, and it, it gets turned on its head. And we got we to gotta realize that there's people that do us wrong. And we're going to get into this next week. But we need to be forgiving people. And we're going to talk about what forgiveness is. And we're going to talk about what forgiveness is not next week. Because when I say be, be someone who's forgiving, I'm not talking about being someone's doormat. All right? That's not what I'm talking about. God never intended us to be anyone's doormat. But, God, but God's saying, you know what? The way I, and, and the way I've forgiven you, that's the way I want you to forgive. So we're going to, what I want you to do is they're going to get started playing behind us. And if, if y'all would, if y'all would go ahead and just stand to your feet. And we're going to worship together. And just in this time of worship, if you would, I, I, I just challenge you to just examine your heart. And just say, Lord. I've been, maybe I've been asking all the wrong things. Maybe my prayers have been all about what I can get and what I need and the materialistic and all this. And Lord, I, I forgot to ask, Lord, I, I need your mercy because that's, if I'm taking care of all my life and then at the end of my life, I don't have your mercy, what is it all good for? What good does it do for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Maybe you've already received his mercy. Let's, let's take time to thank him for it. Thank you, Father. Thank you for saving me. I hope that you've heard from the Spirit of God today. And I know he'll continue to speak to you through, this, through these words and through the, this music. But I challenge you to go ahead and respond in worship. Lift your voice and, and worship him.
Hey, if this message or any of the content that we've been putting out has blessed you and you're wondering how you can partner with us in generosity, there are a couple ways to do that. You can download the PushPay app and you can search Marigold Church and you can give that way. You can also set up reoccurring giving and it's really user friendly. It makes it really easy to give. You can also text Marigold to 77977 and give that way. We believe God moves through a generous heart. And so we would love to see what God does through you as you partner with us and as we walk through this journey together.